Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We continue our tour of God's Hall of Faith today, and our stop takes us to the book of Exodus and the life of Moses. We're going to talk today about Moses' parents. Consider for a moment that the Exodus 2 account that we read, the verse that we're about to read for our sermon text, Hebrews chapter 11, leaves Moses' parents unnamed. We actually know Moses' parents' names. If you go ahead to Exodus chapter 6, you'll find that his father's name was Amram and his mother's name was Jochebed. And if you knew that before you came in today, you are ready for a Bible trivia game at any time. Why don't why doesn't the Bible name his parents in these accounts? Were they unimportant? That's not the point of not naming Moses' parents. The point in not naming them is to highlight not their names, but their actions. What they did by faith. Take a look at how the writer to the Hebrews reports Moses' parents' faith. Verse 23 of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. That phrase, no ordinary child, is kind of interesting. It got me thinking a little bit as I was thinking about the sermon for this week. What does it mean to be no ordinary child? Well, let me give you a little example. The young man whose picture is on the screen is named Laurent Simons. If you haven't heard of him, it's probably because he's actually from Belgium. But as of last December, he was on track to become the youngest person to ever graduate from college. Nine years old. He was seeking to get an electrical engineering degree from a college, a university in the Netherlands. Sorry to be a spoiler, he didn't quite make it. But nine years old, can you imagine? His teachers and professors called him a sponge because he was just able to soak up knowledge and remember it so quickly. He entered elementary school at age four. He began high school at age six and almost finished university at the age of nine. Is it fair to say that he's no ordinary child? That's the phrase that's used about Moses in our text as well, that he's no ordinary child. His parents recognized that there was something special about him. As we take a look at what that might have been, maybe it's just as important for us today to think about the fact that God says that you and I aren't ordinary either. We're no ordinary children when it comes to God's declaration about us. And as we think about this truth from Hebrews chapter 11 today, no ordinary child, let's do so on the basis of these two thoughts, that we live every day with confidence because we know who we are. If you think about the book of Exodus, it's an interesting change, some big changes that the book of Exodus reports. At the end of Genesis, we talked about Joseph last week. Things were going very well for the people of Israel. Joseph was highly respected. They had their own place in the country of Egypt to live in. But some things happened. A new kingdom arose that didn't remember Joseph or what he had done for the people of Egypt. And the people of Israel kept growing. As a matter of fact, over those years until the Exodus, that nation became a small group of about 70 people that grew to a nation of well over a million. 
Can you understand why the Pharaoh and the people of Egypt were a little concerned about the Israelites as they grew larger and larger and larger? What if? What if they attack us? What if they rebel? And what it led to was the Pharaoh being compelled to issue an edict. The edict was this. Every baby boy that's born to the Hebrews is to be thrown into the Nile River. But every baby girl could live. You understand what he was trying to do, right? Control the population of the people of Israel? Try to keep them down? And into that situation was born the young boy that we read about in Exodus chapter 2 who would later be called Moses by Pharaoh's daughter. Can you imagine the risk that Moses' parents took by keeping their young son alive? Three months, we're told, they kept him alive. At risk of their own personal safety, at risk of the death of their own son. The Bible doesn't tell us what those three months were like for the people or for the parents of Moses, but, but can you just picture a little bit what that must have been like? Every time Moses made some noise, every time he cried, Parents probably tried to keep him quiet so that he would go unnoticed. Maybe there were times that Pharaoh sent some of his soldiers through the land in which the Israelites were living. Can you imagine the panic that Moses' parents would have of just trying to make sure that they didn't find out about their baby son? See, Moses' parents recognized something special about their son. No ordinary child, they said. The word in the original Greek actually means beautiful and, and maybe I should back up just a little bit. That fine child that Moses was called in the Exodus 2 reading, the word that the Bible uses there in the original Hebrew is the same word that God uses at the end of each day of creation. When he looked at what he had created and said it was good, it was fine, it was beautiful, it was perfect. In the New Testament, the word that's used for no ordinary child, both here in Hebrews chapter 11 and in Stephen's speech in Acts chapter 7, has the concept behind it of beautiful. Well, how did it get to mean that? You see, the original literal translation was of the town or of the city. And what that came to mean was that it was somebody who was elegant and courteous and therefore beautiful. I love the translation that our our version takes of no ordinary child. Because what Moses' parents understood, what they recognized somehow from God is that Moses was set apart for something very, very special. They couldn't have known then what it was, but we know now, don't we? We know that Moses was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, that he grew up in the king's palace, that he learned all kinds of ways to stand before that Pharaoh and ultimately, God used him to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt and to the promised land. Just imagine with me for a minute if Moses' parents had chosen something different. What if they hadn't said, you know what, we're going to defy this king's edict? You see, what Moses' parents understood is that they served a much higher king than the Pharaoh. And by faith, they were willing to risk their very lives to preserve Moses' life. They were not afraid. Faith overcame their fear. Moses' parents were disobedient. They disobeyed the Pharaoh's order. Were they right in doing so? As I said before, Acts chapter 5 gives us the scriptural principle for when it's okay to disobey our government. We must obey God rather than men. 
In other words, if our government asks us to do something or not do something that goes against what God says in his word, not only do we have the right, but we actually have the responsibility to disobey our government. Moses' parents knew that God was the author of life, that God was the only one who could give and take life, and so they knew that following God's command meant keeping their son Moses alive. Well, here we sit, five months into a pandemic, and we're no strangers, are we, to edicts and orders and mandates from our government, right? So what should our response as God's people be? Maybe we need to start with this. We need to start with the remembrance that those who are placed in authority over us have those positions because God gave them to them. Those men and women are God's representatives. And so when we honor and obey them, we are honoring and obeying God. But I'm going to guess there's some of you that are sitting out here today and some that are listening that are a little frustrated. Frustrated by the limitations that we have in worship. If you would have told me five, five months ago we were going to have blue tape stretched across aisles in the church so that people couldn't sit in those rows, I might have laughed. Maybe you're frustrated by the limitation in gatherings, all the things that have changed because of the pandemic that we're in. Maybe you're disappointed. Maybe, like me, you're disappointed that so often we, we hear decisions and thoughts and, and, and ideas expressed that aren't really about people, but about politics. So what do we do as Christians? Can we disagree with decisions that our government makes? Certainly. Certainly. We can disagree. That doesn't give us the right to disobey, though, does it? So as Christians, what's the best way to go? Well, allow me to give a few suggestions to us today for what is the best path for Christians to take when they struggle with decisions that their government, that their rulers are making. First of all, remember this. You can be an informed citizen. Find out what's going on. Do your own research. Make sure that you know the truth for yourself and don't have to listen to other people to bring that truth to you. Secondly, remember that the people that God has placed over you in local, state, and national government, they are God's representatives to us. But they are also our representatives in that government, aren't they? You can make a phone call, write a letter, type an email to express your concerns to those who are your representatives in government. Maybe far more important than those two things, we pray. We take everything back to Jesus and remember that all of our anxiety, all of our fears, all of our worries, they find rest in Jesus. That's his invitation to us, isn't it? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Remember his love for you, his forgiveness for you. And then remember that invitation, that Jesus wants you to come to him and lay it all at his feet so that he can take your fear and let faith overcome that fear in your life. I don't know about you, but all the decisions that have had to be made, all of the things that have gone into thinking this through for our church, for opening our building, coming up this fall when the students come back, it's been some anxious thoughts, some anxious times, some fears and concerns about how, how all this will work. And I would be less than truthful if I told you today that I've slept perfectly every single night since the pandemic started. 
Maybe some of you share that thought process of not being able to shut off your minds and maybe having a few restless nights. I started reading Psalm 4 or reciting Psalm 4 to myself quite often. And then I remembered who wrote that psalm. It's written by King David. And I think about some of the things that David went through in his life that certainly must have caused him some potentially sleepless nights. Although he had been anointed king, he literally waited years for God to fulfill that position for him, to take him to be the king. He spent many, many nights on the run from King Saul who was trying to kill him. And yet, what did David write? Listen to this verse from Psalm 4, verse 8. In peace, in peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Let that soak in just for a moment. That David could pray that, I lay down in peace. It doesn't matter what's happening outside of me. It doesn't happen, matter what's happening all around me. What matters, God, is that I'm in your hands. You and I too. Every night we lay down to sleep, we're wrapped in the embrace of God's loving arms. We put our heads down on the pillow of God's love. God says, you sleep safely. You can sleep secure because I'm on duty. I'm watching over you. I have all things under my control. When we think in those terms that we can lie down in peace and safety, then we can sleep well at night. Moses' parents recognized that he was not an ordinary child. The Bible doesn't tell us how that came about. And I think to myself, well, well don't most parents think that? When their new bundle of joy comes, they're filled with love and, and they look at that young child and think about all the hopes and dreams that they have for that child. They, they think their child is probably going to do great things in this life, right? Is that what Moses' parents were thinking too? Perhaps. But I wonder if God didn't give them something a little bit more. To understand that Moses was destined for something very, very special. That God had a job for Moses to do. To be the leader of his people Israel. And again, the huge difference that Moses' parents' decision made, that they chose to preserve his life, meant that God could use him to do the very things that he had set apart for him to do. No ordinary child you recognize that the same could be said about you and me today? Not only could be said, it has been said. You are a child of God, bought with the blood of Jesus, redeemed by your heavenly Father to be part of his heavenly family. Our salvation, the gift of God that we have forgiveness of sins and life with him forever is free, a gift that God gives us. But it wasn't cheap, was it? Jesus went to the cross to win that forgiveness for you and me. He gave up his very life, sacrificed himself so that we stand before God holy and blameless and heirs of his eternity as members of his family. When the fears, when the worries, when the anxieties, when the frustration of this life comes, remember, remember the deep love of your heavenly Father, who spared your life and mine, not for three months, but for eternity. He spared our life for eternity by not sparing the life of his own Son, but giving him up for us all. 
you and I stand to inherit something amazing, a life with our Lord forever in heaven, an eternity with him because God calls you and me special. So special that he's prepared for us a place with him in heaven that will never perish, spoil, or fade. Listen to these two passages, these two verses from the Bible that demonstrate that you and I are not ordinary children in God's eyes. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 reminds us, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. And then Galatians chapter 4, verse 7 tells us what we stand to inherit as God's children. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir, an heir of an eternal life with him. Here are some takeaways from our sermon today. Number one, even during times of frustration, we remain confident. We are confident in God's love. God hasn't forgotten. God sees. He knows all things. And he promises he has blessings in store for us. Number two, we can sleep in peace each night because we are safe in God's hands. Before you head off for sleep, keep this one thought in mind. God is greater than coronavirus or anything else that's going on in this world. And then sleep in peace. Finally, number three, we are God's children, heirs of something wonderful, an eternal life with him. That's the blessing of being God's child, is the inheritance that, are, that is ours, a place free from all of the difficulties and troubles of this life. That is truly the best news ever. Something that we want to keep close to us, something that we want to keep in our hearts and in our minds as we face all of the other things of this life. The best news that we are children of God and heirs of eternal life. Have you noticed? Have you noticed if you've watched a lot of news on television or if you find your news on the internet, on some social media platform, that there's a lot of fear? There's a lot of fear being peddled. There's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of difficulty in reading those things. Could I make a suggestion? That if that fear, if that panic starts building up in you, unplug. Stop watching those things that, that might push that fear onto you because that is a tool of the devil. What he'd love for us to do is to despair, to think that somehow everything that's going on in our world is too much for God to handle. But when we unplug from the fear and the despair and plug in to the comfort and the peace that God brings us through his word, that's when we can lie down and sleep in peace. Faith will overcome fear and faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. It's in that word that you hear these words of your heavenly father. I have called you by name. You are my own dear child and an heir of life eternal. That truly is the best news ever. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus, amen.